Welcome to the Habits and Hustle podcast, a podcast that uncovers the rituals, unspoken habits, and mindsets of extraordinary people. A podcast powered by Habit Nest. Now here's your host, Jennifer Cohen. Today on Habits and Hustle, we have Kathy Caprino. She wrote the book, The Most Powerful You. And I'm going to just quickly go over your bio very quickly. Uh, Kathy is a career and leadership coach, a Forbes senior contributor, a TEDx speaker, a LinkedIn influencer, and host of the podcast Finding Brave, which is often ranked in the top 100. Um, and that's them right now. And she wrote the book, The Most Powerful You, that just recently uh, came out a couple months ago. And we're thrilled to have you on the Habits and Hustle podcast. Thank so. you so much for having me, Jennifer. I so appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. I think your book is very valuable. And I've, I've learned a lot. And I, you know, I have questions about career that I think people would be curious because since that's what you do, you specialize. You're a therapist also, correct? I'm a trained therapist. I no longer do therapy, but I but I have to say that lens, I the lens of how do we go deep? What are the challenges? And usually challenges in our career are deeper than, oh, let's whip up our LinkedIn profile. Although there's deep stuff there too. Um, I know, yeah, I, I saw that. I love that. I do I do use the therapy training in the coaching work I do for sure. Well, absolutely. A lot of this is like having a background in psychology and how your mind works and behavioral uh situations, mental like you know in in the in the mind is so helpful to being probably a really good career coach, right? It really is. And you know, I I run a course, the Amazing Career Project and everybody says, "Wow, I didn't really expect that we'd go this deep." But to me, that is what creates the breakthrough. Absolutely. Because if, if it we're all rocking, we'd all be where we want to be, you know? It's it's usually one of these gaps and one of these seven power gaps, and and they often are formed years ago. Well, um, I'm, uh, that's a great segue because we're going to talk about the seven power gaps, which you talk all about in your book, uh, The Most Powerful You. Can you just first define what that means? What is a power yeah. gap? Can I give you a little context on how this emerged for me? Absolutely. I, I define it. So in doing this work for 15 years, and and I in the past five, I would say, I really started doing it on Zoom and it was very global. And I started to see this pattern that no matter who was coming for help, whether they were making 20,000 or 2 million, whether they, whatever socioeconomic level they were or education level or field or title, they started bringing the same kinds of deep challenges over and over. I found myself saying the same things over and over. So two years ago, I said, wait a minute, what is happening here? And I wanted to ask and answer two questions. Number one, what is missing in the lives of professional women? that they are coming to coaching with me for? And number two, what is happening in the coaching process that they are having a breakthrough and changing? And what emerged from that, Jennifer, was this. Two things are missing, bravery and power. And so I said, okay, I need to dimensionalize this. You know, I love that your show is about, it's wonderful to have insight but insight doesn't change your life, typically. Absolutely. Action, right? So I said, okay, great, bravery and power. And let me define that. 
Bravery to me is the courage to look at what is not working and take accountability for changing what you can change. But you need power to do that. Power is becoming that change agent in your life, being the author of your life and and advocating for yourself and other people. And there's all sorts of reasons why. And I don't mean to paint every woman with the same brush. And I, I think there's men listening to and, and men have written me, write a book for me, for goodness sake. <laughs> I have these power gaps. But women process them differently and experience these gaps differently. And, you know, before I share the gaps, the reason for that, and this is not to bash men, this is not about that. It's to look at the system we're in, which is a patriarchal system. We're in it societally and we're in it in, a, in business. And when we're in a patriarchal world, we split ourselves in half. We know what the masculine, and I'm doing it with quotes, is, and we know what the feminine is. Masculine is strong, not vulnerable, not weak, assertive, gets it done, dominant. The feminine is soft, pleasing, malleable, accommodating, vulnerable, emotional, connecting, the problem with this is, and you know, at age, the research shows that at about age 12 or 13, girls are much more on par with boys in every way, how they think of themselves, leadership, raising their hand to share their ideas. At about age 13, they go underground. They don't sign up for those leadership positions. They don't think they can be an astronaut there. They don't think they should study STEM, you know, science, technology, mm-hmm. engineering as much. So... Um, we're formed this way. We don't pop out of the chute like this. We're, we're shaped. So the, the seven gaps then, and I kept looking at, okay, here's woman number 400. What challenges does she have? So I started categorizing them and here they are. And, you know, later I did a survey on this because I thought, let me check quantitatively if what I'm seeing qualitatively is, And the survey showed, so over a thousand women around the world have taken the survey, 98% have at least one of these gaps and 75% have three or more. And when you have these gaps, you cannot thrive at the highest level in work and you pretty much can't thrive in life either, but we're talking careers. So here they are. Number one, not recognizing your special talents, abilities, and gifts. Number two, communicating from fear, not strength. Number three is reluctance to ask for what you deserve. Number four is isolating from influential support. And there's there's so much research about how women are so different about this than men. Number five is acquiescing instead of saying stop to mistreatment. Number six is losing sight of the thrilling dream you had for your life, for your life, you Mm -hmm. know. 20 years ago or 10 years ago. Um, And the final gap is allowing past trauma or challenge to continue to define you. Mm -hmm. That's that. Well, I mean, you know, even reading them again, it's like I I can relate to a few of those. I'm sure like I I guess I fall into the 75%, but I think most people and I would... I would beg to even think that's probably even a low number because people are ashamed to even admit it. It's really true. Right. Or, you know, the one when people say, what's the one that you think is most prevalent? When I look at the numbers, uh, the most, the three most prevalent are reluctance to ask for what you deserve. That's 77 percent. 
Uh, 76% is losing sight of your thrilling dream. 76% said they have this, right? And 71% is isolating from influential support. I see it differently when they come to me. The one that's the worst is not recognizing your talents, but worse than that, Jennifer. So only 63% that said that, but really it's 100%. I'm sorry, it's 100%. And I can look at you on LinkedIn and see in three minutes what you don't know about yourself. I love that. Let's please let's talk about that. I saw that in your book and I thought that was so telling, right? You're saying that you can see by just looking at somebody's LinkedIn profile, you can it says so much about that person. So much. Okay, tell us what it says. Okay, so here's what I'm looking at. And you know, LinkedIn is my happy place. I call it the great <laughs> cocktail party in the sky. You know, we should be on it. We should have be having fun. And I have a big following there. So here's what happens. When I look, here's what I'm looking for. And everybody, this is what people are looking at. So you need to attend to this. Number one, what's your picture look like? Are you looking like this? Are you smiling? Are you facing the world face out? Do you have a cover image, which represents you at an even higher level? It's not just your picture. It's what you love. What is the headline under your name? If it's just your job, you're blowing it. Honestly, because you are so much more than just your job. And, you know, I have a kind of formula for what should be there. And anyone can reach out if they have questions because we're going fast. But it should be your overarching what you're doing in the world. So it's functionally what you're doing, who you do it for, and what are the outcomes you care about. So if you look at mine, you know, it's finding brave host, coach, leadership, trainer, speaker dedicated to the advancement of women in business. You need to be tying that in all in. Then I'm looking at your summary. Oh my goodness. So, so many people have, you know, two sentences and they're using the most platitudinal words in the world, you know, seasoned marketing. And listen, I've made all these mistakes. This is not, I've had all of these gaps. I had a crushingly difficult corporate life, even though it was very successful on the outside. So, I, this is not judging. This is, I'm hoping to uplift you all and have you realize how amazing you are. But if you're using these cliched words, great communicator, responsive, um, you know, I listen well, or, you know, obviously you do all those things well. We want you to shine. Why don't women want to do this? And I'll, I'll keep going what I'm looking for in a LinkedIn profile. It's generic. Women, They're generic adjectives that everyone uses, basically. I, Exactly. And now when you're talking about each of your jobs, I'd love a one sentence that describes in an overarching way what you did and then bullet points about the, not supervised, managed, no, not the tasks, but what you've achieved that you're most proud of. The outcomes that moved the needle of that company. And if you can, it'd be great to have metrics. So if you brought in three clients and it's worth $20, that's different from someone who brought in three clients worth $5 million. Right. Not that, not that either, you know, not that the first is bad, but if you have scope and metrics, now people can go, oh, wow, look what she pulled off. Right. Now we're also looking at. How engaged are you? Do you have recommendations? Do you give recommendations? Are you following people? What are your interests? What are the groups? Are, do you have anything featured? So there's a whole section where you can feature your website or your article or your show. So what are we looking for? That you're not just showing up to your job. You're a thought leader. You're someone who shares. You know, when, when we see that you have followers, it means you're sharing something on your 
on your status. And that can be, let's say you don't feel you have anything to say yet. You can share, follow a hundred people on LinkedIn who inspire the heck out of you and share something every day that they're sharing. Right. But don't just share it, offer something that shows your thought leadership. So Jennifer, you might say, loved Kathy's book, My Most Powerful You, and the one biggest takeaway for me was this. Now you're just not amplifying my voice. We're now listening to what you have to contribute. I love think? that. No, I love it. And I'll tell you why. Number one, I have the worst LinkedIn profile in the, in the entire world. Uh, I, and it's it's always like a... And I know I have to make it better and I know I have to fix it, but I just don't. And so I'm curious. You know, it's a great question. I just... You know what? I... It's funny. I'm a very... I'm a bit... I'm very extroverted in some ways. I don't like to... I'm not a big boaster when I have to write like, I've done this. I don't even like sending my bio out. Like, I've done this. I'm like that. It's, I think you're, I think there's something to, uh, probably most women, uh, who've had success, they feel maybe sh- ashamed of like, uh, because they, uh, boasting about it because it, you come across arrogant or, uh, with an ego, conceited. Now, I want to know something. I want to know if, Women compared to men on LinkedIn, do, do women just generally have a worse profile than men or is it pretty much even there? You know, I haven't done the systematic research to answer that, but I will tell you this. I, I need to h- highlight and, and support what you've said. When when I say to women, what are your, and I have this career path assessment that everyone fills out. So 70,000 people have downloaded it. I you love know? it. That's on your website though, right? Yes, the career assessment, right? And yeah, I don't, if you have links, uh, I'd be happy. It's free. But um, it asks, you know, what's every, what, what are the jobs you've had? Every job you've ever had, what you loved, what you hated. And it asks, what are you great at? Right there. They can't answer it. Crickets. <laughs> they either leave it blank or, and the reason is this, when I'm on the phone with them, and I'm telling you, Jennifer, I work with people at the UN who are epidemiologists, who are, you know, CFOs and management consultants. They're amazing. And I say to them, are you kidding me here? Look at what you have done in the past 10 years, 15 years. You don't know what you're great at. And this is what they say. I have an idea, but I don't want to say that I'm great. And I say, why not? And listen, um, I hope everyone will look at my profile. And I want to tell you the difference between bragging and fact. And I even talk about it in my TEDx talk, Time to Brave Up. What women say is, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging. This is training that we got, Jennifer. We got it. We got it as a child. You know, my mom's 96 and got COVID and recovered, although she's weak now. She is a warrior. But wow. when I was, not but, and when I was younger, you know, I sang, I uh, I was in the shows, I was a competitive tennis player. And one time I was in a show, you know, a musical, and someone came up to me and my mom in the grocery store. And they said, are you Kathy Caprino? Like I was a little celebrity at 16. And I guess I got all cocky later, but mom said, I don't like this. I don't, I don't like what you're looking like here. Tone it down. This is what we get. And I can tell you men are not getting it. They're not. They're not told to tone it down. So what I see now, again, I haven't done that survey. It would be fun to do. 
but I never have to tell my male clients, um, you know, you're kind of sounding a little braggarty there. Uh, I don't have to tell them that, but they're very confident. They're very, you know, there's so much research on this. This is not me making it up. For instance, do you know that the research has shown that if there's a promotion or a job listed, Men will go for it if they only have 50% of the qualifications and women will wait until they have a hundred percent, which is a huge mistake peeps because, um, you know, you can shape the job when you're impressive enough and exciting enough. They'll say, all right, wait a minute, we need to have you, but we'll do this differently. Um, men just don't struggle with this thing about, um, it's bad to be confident. Well, what's the difference? So give me some key things that, that are different between braggery and confidence. I have an example, if I could. Now, this might sound like I'm trying to get sales. It's not. <laughs> but when people say to me, and they don't ask much anymore because there's a lot of me out there. So if you watch my stuff, you'll be like, I like her or, or I don't, which is one of the key reasons we should put a lot of stuff out. <laughs> but if someone says, can you tell me how you're different from other coaches? You know, why, why should I go with you? And I'll say, I'm going to tell you four things. Now, the difference I'm about to say, um, the difference, in my opinion, is this is fact, not bragging. Right. Number one, I had an 18-year corporate career and I rose to vice president, managed big budgets. I've lived what it is to be a high-level professional woman in a crushing environment. Number two, after that, I became a therapist, a marriage and family therapist. So, what you're going to get with me is not the superficial. You're going to get the deep dive. Number three, I have spent 15 years focused on professional women. And while this is not fact, I believe this is true. I think I know about professional women's challenges better than almost anybody because I have lived them for years and done work to overcome them. Number four, I'm an entrepreneur. So I'm in that arena of what it is to to be of service and price things and content create. And you, you know, you, you get slapped down a lot when you're out there. I'm, I write on Forbes and sometimes I write about very controversial stuff that people don't like, like what is feminism? Yeah, that's a, in that, that, whoa, that, <laughs> that I didn't recover from for a week. So <laughs> I ask you, Jennifer, honestly, honestly speaking, does that sound like bragging? No, so you're saying you stack your deck with facts, facts. and therefore you can't, you can't, you, you, there's, you can, it's very hard to take a fact that's a fact and, <laughs> and, and basically break it down to. What to are they going to say? No, you weren't a vice exactly. No, you didn't um, study therapy. So. And no, you don't take a deep dive. They don't know. Right. Right. So you're, you're stacking your deck with actual truisms. Truisms. And what I suggest everybody do is listen to this TED, TED, TEDx talk, Time to Brave Up. But I talk about writing the 20 facts of you this weekend. Sit with a pad of paper and brainstorm the things that you're most proud that you did. Now here, even women will struggle. Well, I'm not sure I did it. There was a team. Okay. Okay. But you know, did you lead it in a special way? Did you lead it differently? Did you say things differently? Did you have a strategic vision that might've been different? Right. You're not going to do not take credit for where it's not due, but women won't take credit when it is due. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. But the first power gap 
still, I think like we're saying is probably 100% when you see them, is that they're not even able to point out their uniqueness, their special qualities, their special traits. How do people move through that? And is that a way to do it? Is that to, to take those moments and write down the things that you're most proud of? And then from there, you can kind of dissect or kind of keep on um, uh, narrowing down what those unique qualities are? Well, I, I think you're bringing up uh, a really interesting kind of distinction. The first thing is, what are you most proud of? So, you know, am I, and and your, your prep form even asks that. Um, and so that might not be the same as your special talents, abilities, and gifts. For instance, if you ask me what I'm most proud of, it's that I took a mess of a career that really, I mean, there was sexual harassment, gender discrimination, chronic illness. I was sick for four years. Every three months, I would get an infection of the trachea, zero work-life balance, toxic colleagues, narcissistic bosses. I am most proud in my life that I turned that mess around and turned it into a message that I no longer feel so thwarted and mistreated and beleaguered and confused and lost. And that, that. so that's not necessarily, I mean, there were skills involved in that, but that's what I'm most proud of. I think that actually, so in my opinion, what that says to me is maybe your, your special gifts or your superpowers is that you're very resilient. You're very resourceful. You're able to have that, uh, inner strength to be able to take that mess and turn it into the message or a different message. So in a way, I mean, so, but if, if you're saying that's different, I, I appreciate yeah. that. So let's what talk, should they do? What let should me, they let do? Me give them Tactical some things. Tips. So yeah. it, take the career path assessment and, you know, it's for your own edification. Now look at what those things are that gave you the most joy in that job. So for instance, let me take an example. My last two years, vice president job, I swear it almost killed me. When I got laid off after 9-11, I thought I didn't do anything. I am a loser. And then after about a year of healing and realizing I didn't want to be at that job, so why was I upset that I got laid off? I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I did some things here. I, so this is what I'm talking about. I uh, revitalized a, a fading business. I helped by mediating marketing and our new clients. I helped bridge gaps. So we generated more money from those clients and got new clients. So you break down what that was. Then you start pulling out what skills were involved in doing that. Okay. So, okay. Um, you know, there were bank clients we had and they were all about to pull out. And part of it was, in my opinion, the marketing team wasn't budging about what these clients right. wanted. So I'm new and I come in and I go, wait a minute, if we could bridge this gap, people in the meeting, if we could mediate these differences. So what does that take? It takes listening. It takes empathy for both sides, which neither side had. It took dimensionalizing a wish. I wish you people wouldn't just do sweepstakes when you marketed this program because we don't believe in sweepstakes. And here's the marketing team saying, well, they work fantastically. Are you listening? The client's not going to go with you. So what does that take? Maybe it takes dimensionalizing some new strategies that both sides could actually buy. So all of you, all of you have these amazing talents, but they're embedded in a way that you need to dimensionalize and, and tease out. Does that make sense? 
Mm, yeah, more or less. So base. So it. So basically, it is. It, there is like an element of writing down things that you have achieved and that you were good. That you're kind of you. You kind of achieved or done well in your past career or is in overall life. Like what you've done well. But you know, when people ask me that question, you know, not now as much, but you know, give me an example of when you. Uh, were able to do this X or do that. Like when I was in job interviews, right? Years ago, it would always like stump me, right? Like it puts you on the spot because you don't know where to kind of go. Doesn't that happen when, when, when that in, in this kind of situation too, like even in your, in your assessment, when people get asked that question, they can get totally stuck and not be able to do that. What do they do if they can't figure that out? If they, or they, well, or, or, I love your questions, girl. Yeah. Right, here's something. Sometimes, yeah. you know, I love this quote, Einstein, you can't solve a problem on the level of consciousness that created it. Your consciousness mm -hmm. is blocked. So what do you do? You get outside help. So another thing about LinkedIn, I sound like a LinkedIn rep. Um, <laughs> another thing women Fun. not all women, but so many found so hard, ask for recommendations. And, and I want to tell you the very first one I ever got was after I left my corporate, I was booted out of my vice president job. And I thought I was a crappy leader. Part of it was I felt I was getting kicked. So I felt like I was kicking down. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't even live with myself. Out of the blue, a young woman wrote, and it's the first one I got, I think it's 2015 or 2016. And she wrote, you know, I wasn't in Kathy's team, but she was someone who was a role model for me about what it is to be as whatever. And I remember I literally cried. I'm not kidding, because it healed a few years of really thinking I had been terrible. This is what recommendations do for you. People give you words and experiences and insights about how you impacted them that you have no idea about. And then you begin to use their words because right. it becomes fact to you. It's not like, okay, I'm bragging. <gasps> he said I was innovative and creative and, and she said I was inspiring and strategic and moved the needle in a way no one else did. So... Now, women find this very hard, but there's specific language to use to ask for a recommendation. And I also say, don't, don't approach everything with your hand out. Give. Think yeah. back on the 20 people you loved and give them recommendations. And yeah, it'd be great if they did it back to you, but just that very act builds your confidence. But here's, if you, if you really want some recommendations, I'd ask everybody to do this. Think about the 20 people in your past that loved you, that you know they thought so highly of you, that boss, that president, that colleague, that peer, and you reach out. And of course, you don't just out of the blue 10 years later say, hey, would you give me a recommendation? You know, you say, oh, Fred or Jennifer, it's so wonderful to see your show and how well you're doing. You know, I remember five years ago when we did this together um, and you were so impactful for me. And then you say something like, you know, I'm at a juncture now where I'm hoping to move in a little bit of a different direction and I'm beefing up my LinkedIn profile. And it would mean so much to me if you could offer just a few words of recommendation uh, or endorsement of the time we spent together and what you experienced in working with me. Is that so terrible? That's not hard, is it? More from our guest, but first a few words from our sponsor. 
The solutions to our country's biggest problems are closer than we think. And Believe in People by Charles Koch is a guidebook to uncovering them. It's a look into the transformations that happen in society when we transform ourselves. From former gang leaders turned peace brokers, to amateur athletes discovering dynamic new ways to support Americans seeking sobriety. There's a reason best-selling author and stoic advocate Ryan Holiday call it a provocative book for the moment. The stories inside detail the habits, principles, and devotions of true changemakers. Believe in People is out right now. Order the book today at believeinpeoplebook.com slash habits and hustle. That's believeinpeoplebook.com slash habits and hustle. So one thing I, I, I saw also in your book that I'm a big fan of is uh, asking for what you want, right? Mm-hmm. And not being afraid to ask for what you want. So that's basically what you're saying to do. If you can't find it within you, what a great, a great option or something you can do to kind of take the bull by the horn, just ask the people closest to you or take people who've worked with you and, and in, a, in a very sincere way, ask them for what they thought. So then how, let's say people have a problem, they are very reluctant, because this is what I find with a lot of women. Um, people are very reluctant to ask for what they want. And so therefore, they usually just default to what's in front of them, or they acquiesce to something else. What are some strategies to kind of get over that fear where they could fear, feel they can ask. All right. So this is where the therapist in me comes in. When someone's in my course or we're working together and they're saying, this is just so hard for me, I always ask this question. So can I echo back what I'm hearing? Yeah. You find it really hard to ask somebody to help you or you find it hard to advocate for yourself for what you need, right? They go, right. I say, how old is this problem? And I want to tell you that 95% of the time, it's from childhood. So here's what, this is hard to talk about, but this is the truth. You are what your childhood taught you to be, unless you unlearned it. You are that person. So let me give an example. I grew up with a Greek mom, my warrior mom, and an Italian dad. (laughs) <laughs> Dad's in heaven. Mom, mom was tough. Like, woo. I remember when I was little, I opened a car door into another car door and the driver got mad and ran after us. And my mother said, I'll go home and take an aspirin. I mean, I'll never forget <laughs> She's tough. But you can't challenge my mother. No going. And uh, somebody, I just said it the other day and someone who has a Greek mother goes, boy, do I know what you mean. Greek moms don't like it. But You couldn't challenge mom because she grew up with an idea of what children should be. Quiet, respectful, demure. That's what, that's what it was. So, and you know, there's this really great question. I wish I thought of it. Tony Robbins in his uh, documentary, I Am Not Your Guru, Mm -hmm. he asks, who did you crave love most from when you were a child and who did you have to be to get it? Huh? Immediately, I knew the answer. It was obedient for mom and brilliant for dad. So this is what I just want to say. And then I'll answer uh, a bit of another p- part of your question. Um, 
are your parents trying to make you do this? Are they trying to make you feel like you have to be brilliant to be loved? No. If dad were alive and he were sitting here and I asked him, dad, did I have to be brilliant to be loved? You know, would he say yes? Of course not. But it's the message I got because he was brilliant and he'd look at all my all A's and an A minus and say, good. What happened with the <laughs> Right? And mom. Are you sure you're not Jewish? <laughs> Jewish and Greeks are very, very similar. <laughs> oh. So, mom, I asked her uh, while I was writing the book, mom, I'm, I need funny. your permission. I'm going to, I'm going to say I had to be obedient for you. What do you think? Dead silence. I thought, oh, I'm going to get it. And she said, yeah. I can see how you would think that. So the thing is, for instance, if you had to be obedient, if you, and if you had a narcissistic parent or emotional manipulation where there was conditional love, if you weren't beautiful, you weren't loved. If you didn't make it number one on the tennis team, you weren't loved. If you didn't get into Harvard, there wasn't love. This messes us up. And you haven't unlearned it yet. So what I ask, if you struggle so hard, no matter what people tell you to do, to ask for what you want, it's probably a childhood thing. Do you need therapy around it? It would help, or it would help to work with a coach who understands what childhood does. Now, um, I want to say this. It's always been hard for me to ask for what I, well... I would say as a vice president, I was easy to ask, can I get that promotion somehow? That was okay. But generally it's hard. But I want to tell you, the more you do it, the easier it is. So now, for instance, if I speak somewhere and I get good feedback, I will ask the host, would you mind posting a recommendation as a speaker? The first time I did it, hard, coughed up a hairball. Second time, a little less hard. Now it's what I do. So I promise you it gets easier, but I would look at what is scary to you about it. Like even if someone says, um, like let's say asking for a promotion, here's the tip. It isn't about you. It's about why the organization is going to be better off that you're at a higher level, level, level position. One thing people do, which is a mistake, I'm so good at my job, I deserve to be promoted. Not so. If you're so good at your job, you're probably going to stay in your job. For right. you to get promoted and another $20,000, it has to be good for the organization. So what you do is you build a case before you mention it to your boss. You build a case. First of all, competitive Salary research. What is someone who has 20 years experience as a digital marketer, 10 years experience as a digital marketer, what are they making? Number two, why should I get this promotion? What is going to change? What am I going to be able to achieve and give to the organization that I don't already? Number three, who else thinks I should get this? Number four, it can't be an emotional thing. You have to leave the emotion at the door. It's, it's really a legitimate, here's the case. It's also, yeah, it's that you're building a case that benefits them. Right. It's not a case that benefits you. No one cares right. about you, right? right. They, they don't. At the end of the day, people are going to give you that promotion or anything because at the, it will benefit them in some way. So flip the script, right? I think, I think what happens a lot of time, and women do this, I think, a lot, that we, we get... We get um, we get, well, well for, I deserve it. I work so hard. I put 30, 80 hours in a week. I, you know, like, but at the, people are not sympathetic to those things. If it doesn't 
like you said, it will keep your job, maybe. It'll keep your job. Or, right. you know, I mean, that's what I call perfectionistic overfunctioning. Maybe that you, maybe you didn't I saw that. need to work 80 hours a week. Maybe you could have done it in 60. Right. And I'm a recovering one. So, um, I know and what people that's do, like. Right. And women, I think not even, I think people do that because they feel that's what's needed and expected from them. Right. Right. That's what they do. But I would look around. Is everyone in this ecosystem doing that? So here's a statistic uh, I would love to share. One study showed that right out of business school, men, 57% of men negotiated their first salary that they ever got. 7% of women did. Wow, I mean, that's a big difference. A big <laughs> and you're going to be behind. You're going to be behind men. You're going to be behind other people who can speak up for themselves. You know, Sheryl Sandberg mentioned in her book, Lean In, she was going to take the first, you know, financial compensation offer Zuckerberg gave her for Facebook. And her brother said, are you crazy? You never take the first offer. And she was like, really? It's just how we're raised. Right. Well, you're right. When I, when, when I negotiate on my own behalf, I always end up with much less money, right? Because I feel like I, I talk myself or I talk myself out of the money that I even think I'm deserving, you know, I see a number and then I feel guilty and I'm like, well, actually it's okay. Um, if you, if you can't afford that, we can, you know, let's do it at X amount instead. And, you know, it's, it's interesting how we, we tend to do that as women, right? We, we can, we, we talk our, our, our worth down versus being a a lot of times, not always, it's always an exception to the rules, but instead of being strong and assertive and being very much kind of like, uh, confident in what we ask for, right? We feel guilty, right? So that's an interesting term. Guilty. I'm dying to do coaching with you. <laughs> what, can I ask you just so listeners will understand? Yeah, go ahead. Ask me whatever you want. Guilt is, you know, I I'm a writer. I'm a communicator. I listen to words. You don't say you feel embarrassed or you know unsure. You say you feel guilty. Yes. Does guilty mean Guilt implies you've done something wrong and that maybe something not good is going to come out of this. Do you feel guilty to ask because you think if they give me that amount of money, someone else isn't going to earn some money? Or is there some part of it that you feel it's a bad thing? Probably. I, I, I feel, I mean, not as much anymore, but as I've kind of evolved and morphed um, it, it, and like become much more comfortable. But I would definitely say when I was younger and like it still happens today, don't get me wrong, but not as often where I feel badly uh, because I feel like, oh my God, what is it? What are they going to think if I ask for that kind of money? Right. It's just kind of like, like you and said, what do you think they're going to think? Right. Well, it's ingrained. I'm like, oh, is she crazy? What is she? Why? Why does she think she deserves it? Or more than that, I think I don't want to lose the opportunity. That's so what it, women are afraid of. Right. So if I, True. if I, right. So if I say it to, if I say a, a number that's too high, I'm talking myself out of the opportunity versus if I go with a lower number. I have a, a higher chance of actually getting it, right? So that's where I think it really becomes a, a thing. I think, I hope everyone's nodding their head. I think that is so incredibly common. Uh, w another um, side dimension of this is, this is what I lived through. 
you know, I write for Forbes, I'm a compensated contributor, for instance. Um, if I ask, um, I would like to be considered for this. Um, what goes through my mind that I have to tame is they're going to be mad. Yeah, they'll be, like, be, yeah, be annoyed. And, and, or no, yeah. and it's going to be bad for me. And, you know, a little bit of that is what I grew up with. But isn't it true a little bit? Like some of this actually, it is kind of true, right? Like, have you, has this ever happened where you've asked someone, depends on, I feel like depending on your relationship with who you're asking and, and how you ask, what I've kind of learned is it's not so much what you say, it's kind of how you say it. So it's not exactly so much what you ask, it's how you ask it. So I've been conditioned to feel that way. So if I ask too assertively, I have I get a certain response. If I ask more kind of loosey, kind of easy going, I feel like the response is not as offensive, right? Because that's been my experiences. That's been my so to your point, I feel it depends on someone's it's all relative to someone's past experience, what they've been through. Mm-hmm. Well, I love to talk about that. So when I talk about communicating from fear, not strength. Or acquiescing instead of saying stop to mistreatment. Why do we do that? Because many of us have been punished when we've stood up for ourselves or right. said stop harassing me. Or um, I, if we look, we live in a society where strident women are punished. I, this is not this is not um, me being paranoid. It's fact. Let me give you an example and then give a tip, kind of what you're talking about. I interviewed the behavioral science guys, Joseph Grenny and David Maxfield, and they do a lot of research and surveys and awesome research. And they did a study where they filmed a woman actor saying a forceful thing to the, to the people in, in her meeting. And she said, I don't agree with the direction of the team here. They filmed a man saying the same thing, exactly the same words. And they showed it to mixed audiences. And here's the crazy thing. The woman, her perceived value in the workplace, what she is worth, dropped precipitously. Now, his dropped a little. So apparently, we don't like forceful people. You know, we... we, (laughs) Her perceived competency and her value dropped much more than his. So number one... You know, we see this. Forceful women are called biatches. Look at look at what's happening. But what I say to that is, yeah, that's what's what's happening. But we can't sit back and be not assertive so that people won't punish us. We have to show the world what it is to be assertive and confident. But they also did this other study. Is there a statement you can make before you say a, a forceful thing? that will mitigate the backlash. Mm. And they tried all these statements and what they came up with was a value statement. So for instance, in that case, it would be, all right, folks, you know, I have to share. Uh, I really value honesty and transparency. So I need to share. I'm not on board with the direction here. I think why that works is that People are very threatened 
even when you go into your Mm -hmm. boss and say, I'd like a raise and I'd like it now, they're threatened, insecure people. Humans are insecure. So if you find a way to let them hear what you're saying without perturbing their insecurity, or let's say your boss, man or woman, only has a certain budget and giving you another 10,000 or 20 is not in the budget, that's going to perturb them. And I think that, you know, research shows women have a much stronger emotional cue reading. So if we even sense that the boss is bristling, you know, men don't sense that as much. There's tons of research. Well, if we sense it, we're going to back off. We're going to get nervous. So I do think if you can find ways where you're not perturbing their system, like, you know, listen, Fred, you know, I'd love to speak with you. I really do think that, you know, given what I've done the past year, I really deserve a promotion. That's going to get him worked up or her. I agree. I love what you just said, though. And I think I think it deserves repeating uh, that when someone needs to be assertive or forceful to first start it with a value, because I think that really does make a massive difference in the response, a massive difference. So again, that's kind of how you table it, right? It's how you're saying something versus... Because you can really get away with saying whatever the hell you want if you first... If you, if, if you, if you table it or your appetizer is coming from an authentic place of kindness or value because people aren't as um, taken aback. And I think the other part is the threatened part. I think man or woman... People are insecure and threatened by nature when they have a job. And so that's something that you have to have kind of in the back of your, of your head. But I guess this is where I was, what I was going to say to you. And maybe you won't like this because of what about women empowerment and maybe I'll get backlash. Huh. But I will say something. And a lot of times, as much as women should be big proponents of other women in my experiences. And I think if you're, if women are honest, a lot of times women aren't great to other women. That's where the most threat becomes uh, obvious. A lot of times it's easier when there is a male female uh, dynamic. You know, a lot of times when women are like, I, I, don't do, have you noticed, has anyone ever mentioned that to you in an, in, in all of yeah. your years of, of coaching? Right. Here's what here's what I've been asked. You know, they call it the queen bee syndrome. You have someone higher level that as a woman and she throws other women under the bus. Yeah. And I've been asked 2000 times. And have I had it? I've even I've lived through this for sure. Right. I'm sure. So here's my take on it. Are we born like that? No. But in, you know, listen, it's a patriarchal world. Man, men. So many more men. And I don't have the number off the top of my head in terms of how many CEOs are men in the Fortune 500. It's a tiny percentage who are women. So what's happened in the past, and I think things are shifting, you know, as women become more than 50% of the workforce. But in the past, 20 years ago, you didn't see women at the top often. So when a woman got there, my experience has been she's going to hang on for dear life. And it is not everyone. There's been, I've had wonderful female bosses. I've had wonderful male bosses. And flipped. 
but um, and this doesn't have general. to be a CEO. It could be anybody in middle management or anywhere where the women, the women to women dynamic is that they want to hold on for dear life. They feel yes. threatened by you if you're talented and really good or whatever the reason people you're likable. And it becomes a really hard situation. I've heard that actually way more often than the than the alternative. I just have. I mean, I'm just telling you what I've the alternative seen. that they're better when there's been losses. Like a lot of times, I think it's 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 very PC in a way to be like, yeah, women supporting women. I think yeah, it's been much better maybe of late because, but I don't think it's 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 a hundred percent. I don't even think it's seventy five percent. I think a lot of time women are competitive with other women. So let me give you my thoughts. I think it happens a lot. Um, and I think it's for the reasons we're saying they've scraped hard to get where they are and they're not, a, they don't feel like they want to bring other women into a potentially competitive situation. hundred percent. But I got to ask this because I'm, I'm, uh, I look at gender. I look at how gender responds. Have you ever asked this question? We need to do a survey. I think that men have male bosses who do that but they don't internalize it the way women do. Mm. Good point. They don't go home and agonize about it. They're like, my guy's an ass. <laughs> and I swear on your podcast, what an ass. All he wants to do is hear himself talk. Well, yeah. that's a good point. That's I, a good I, point. I'd like to do a survey on that. I, yeah, I really you should think, do one. Why don't you? I think I will. Because maybe, yeah, I think you should, because the women's EQ and maybe they're more emotional by nature. So it's talked about, right? More. But you're right. I don't know about the men to men. Right. I have no idea. I remember there was one meeting, new, new CFO, big meeting. There was a head of marketing, um, digital marketing and me and five other people. She was such a damn, excuse me, such a narcissist. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you know one when you see one, I think. If not, That's look true. up the symptoms. And I, and I didn't like the way, she, the way she was talking to me. I didn't like the way she was talking to anybody. And I got so perturbed. I left and I said to this guy, let's call him Bob. Bob couldn't have cared less. And I said, Bob, I got to ask you. I mean, did you see what I saw? He goes, I don't care. I go, how do you not care? He goes, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Right. And it's going to be great. I don't care. That was, that was 20 years ago. That was so telling to me, Jennifer. Right. And I think men are more like that. I think that's a good point. I think that's a very good point. Uh, I, I can even just talk about my husband. You know, sometimes when you go out with, you know, I, I go to a party or a dinner or whatever, and I'm like noticing a behavior and I like come home and I'm like, can you believe that this happened? She said this and that happened. And then, and he's like, who cares? Like, right. it's like, it's like, it's like such a non-issue, right? That's it. Yeah. I and think I, that's and a I'm very not good point. To say that all women make issues out of non-issues. No, but, but what's on our radar is different from it's, our it's male. Colleagues, yes, partners. It's different. What's on our radar? It's a good way of putting it. I think it's also just, yeah. I mean, we're not. It's not about. I think. I think what's real is real, right? Like that is just how it is, right? I feel like we're not. I'm not saying that every woman's emotional and men are not emotional. There's plenty of men I know who are drama queens. Believe me, you know, and and plenty of women who don't care. But we're talking more of a majority minority situation. We're trends. We're talking patterns. Absolutely. I have but a question. Can I, can I add something that's yes, really absolutely. Now that I focus on gender, 
what I'm seeing is unconscious bias. So for instance, Mm. what I want everybody to think about is, yeah, if women are talking about how terrible their female bosses are, we can't just go to the place where it's fact that women bosses are worse. We have to go, wait a minute, is there a bias here? And even how I'm perceiving it. You know, yeah, it's absolutely. Important. It's true. I, I, I actually just finished reading a book recently. I was talking all about this. I think people go into a, and a lot of guests that come on here. We talk about this in business all the time because I think that's a real thing. And it happens all the time in VCs when they're, uh, when people are investing in companies, when they're hiring, when they're, when they're in every, in a lot of aspects, right? There is that bias that you have to be uh, vigilant. Conscien- yeah. yeah, you have to oh, be conscientious careful. of. Uh, yeah. I I have a question for you. Kind of uh, this is kind of a simple question. Maybe I'm just curious. As being a leadership and career coach, what is the number one uh, question or issue that you see all the time? Well. You, you know, again, um, making sure we're not, yeah. we're not biased. So when you look at my stuff, you know that I'm someone who helps someone who wants more, different, or better in their career. Mm-hmm. So it may, it's not going to be a CEO who adores his or her job. And, you know, what, it's, it's someone who's like, oh, brother, <laughs> something has to change. The number one thing I most find, common. the most common thing is I have woken up in this career that I thought was going to be successful. And even if I have a lot of, I mean, I work with people that make a lot of money and have big power, some and some who don't, but what they wake up and say is where I am is not where I want to be. I don't mean just in the job, but how I'm being treated, what I'm working on, and I don't know how to fix it. That's, that's the number one thing. Some of it is they definitely need a career pivot, but some of it, I call it the pendulum swing. And this was me. You're so broken down and unhappy and resentful where you are that you think you want to go to the opposite ends of the earth. Because so, for instance, corporate people will say, I'm done. I want to work in nonprofit or academia. Why? Mm -hmm. Because it's going to be, you know, Shangri-La. It's not. I have clients desperate to get out of nonprofit (laughs) and academia. I'm like, no, you're just trying to run away. We're not going to run away. What we're going to do is make you more powerful now, right now. So what does success look like? More success. A lot of people will say, I want to be, have more leadership. They don't want to have more leadership. They want to get promoted because they think that will validate their, Mm. their worth. And I'm like, you hate this job. You don't really want to be promoted, do you? Well, when you put it that way, no, Uh, you know, so they have something wrong that they can't figure out how they got there and how to get out of it. So it's like you have to help them find clarity, right? Like they're misguided in what they actually think the problem is usually it sounds like. And yes. you have to help them find clarity. Like what what ha- like how about when somebody is at a job and they have the golden handcuffs, right? And they and they need they want to leave, they're not fulfilled. They want to you know, ha- yeah. You, you must see that too, I would imagine, quite often. What do or I say that? What do we no, do? I was yeah. say, how does, you know, if they stay five years, they're going to get a million invested uh, stock. 
options. And is that or what they're you making, or, or just they're making a lot of money and they're not oh. fulfilled in their job, and they they want to pivot, they want to pivot, and they want to go to do something else, but they don't know what to do. I love what, this, but it's it's almost like diagnosing the way a doctor does. So you know, you go to the doctor. I have a rash all over my body. Your doctor doesn't say, "Okay, you need to take Lexapro." You know, <laughs> the doctor's like, "Okay, let I got fifty two questions for you." Yeah. Uh, Lexapro is not for rashes, by the way. But, <laughs> I know. I wondered okay. if you knew. I wonder. I know. I know. I don't take it, but I know plenty of people. Oh, that's who so do. funny that you yeah. know. Uh, okay. So, um, what I see this a lot, I'm making a ton and, you know, I had a client recently, he was making so much money and he, he'd worked for three incredibly illustrious billionaires. And the third one was yet again, someone he couldn't stand working with in working with him in depth what I think we both saw, he's not willing to give up what he has. The issue though is, I've said to him, why do you think that you can't make the money you make and work for someone you respect? Why do you think that? But he wouldn't even do the work of marketing, networking. He wouldn't do it. And, you know, I, I don't tend to have that kind of client anymore because they know I'm going to do a deep dive and that's not going to stand. Right. right? I'm not interested. But um, what I, when someone, I just had this with, with another woman making a ton of money, m- miserable. Um, what we have to do is break down. Do you really think that if you made any kind of pivot, you're not going to make this money? Let's make sure that's not an unfounded assumption because most people who are making great money can make it somewhere else. Right, right. You know, what I love to tell people um, that I didn't know, when you're in a corporate situation, so many people think this is it. This is it. This is the job I have to have. They don't think like entrepreneurs. You're an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. If something, a big project of mine falls through, I don't just throw in the towel. I'm like, I got to figure this out. We're more flexible generally. We understand that there's opportunity everywhere. Corporate people don't. They feel very stuck. So part of this is figuring out what is keeping you stuck? Why do you think you can't make 750 grand in in another area? Um, But then I will be honest, there's been a few people that have said, I'm really not happy, but if I stay three more years, I'm going to make a million dollars. In or two million. So I think when I started out as a coach, it was all Shangri-La. Oh, do what you love and the money will follow. That is ridiculous. Sometimes it will, but only if you're smart and wise and know how to do it and have a, a, a you know a product or a service that meets a need, you know. So there have been times where we've said, let's talk about how bad this really is, this job. And of course, if they're being mistreated, then we go to a lawyer. You know, if, if it's sexual harassment, if it's gender bias, you go to a lawyer and we figure things out. But in this one case, it wasn't so bad. So I said, what if we made this better right where you are? What if we address the three things that are making you unhappy? How would you feel about staying three years? And that's what she did. It got much better. And I'm all about make it better now before you leap. 
Because if you don't make it better now, power yourself up, you're going to have the same thing in the next job. Okay, then one one final question, because I think let's talk about people who are stuck in this uh, pandemic and they feel stuck, right? How do people uh, enhance their career? Or what, what are some tips that you can give people how they can pivot their career while we're kind of in a situation where people aren't going to the office um, and we're kind of just all working from home doing the best we can? Love it. So, I, uh, you know, in this course that I have, it's a lot of people in this boat. Look, uh, what the pandemic gave me was a realization I don't want to be in this job anymore. And that's what a big yeah. crisis does to us. We're like, life is precious. And I didn't even realize how precious and my time is precious. But what do I want? So it's a, it's a matter of teasing out. And this is a mistake that people make. They might be unhappy in the environment they're in. But that doesn't mean they necessarily should chuck their career, but they don't feel that. They're like, I'm done. I never want to do marketing or finance. I'm done. And I want to be, you know, singing a band or whatever. So we have to tease out, is it this job? Is it this boss? Is it this ecosystem? Or is it this career? And we can't really do that on our own. You need a little help, you know, going to a career coach helps. Um, but let's say you realize, okay, I'm not going to leave yet because I'm too scared in the pandemic and I have a great paycheck coming in, but I'm pretty sure I'm done with this career. So this is an incredible time. First of all, there's more privacy. You know, not everybody's seeing what you're doing on the phone. Right. And so here's the thing that's important. Do you know that more than 85% of jobs are not gotten through applying online? They're gotten through networking. And there's an enormous percentage of jobs that are not even listed. So this is the time that you throw yourself into building a community, networking, and you start exploring there. I call it, try it on, you know, okay, you think you want to pivot and you want to get out of event planning and you want to do this. Don't leap before you know, try it on behaviorally, financially, spiritually, any way you can. And that's by talking to people you know, uh, shadowing them when we're together, you know, we're not, we're not um, quarantined. Um, it's learning everything you can. Maybe you want a new certification. Maybe you're ready. I have a client who's ready to be a therapist, but let's not do that till we know this is what you want, that after right. the master's, you're going to be happy. So this is just the perfect time to explore, 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 explore. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. You can take a class, you could take a certification online. Um, and if the networking, I, I'm 100% in agreement with you on that. And if you're someone who's uncomfortable with that, we go to your favorite thing, LinkedIn and start following the people that you admire the most. Right. And try to get over that ability to ask or, or, or reluctance to ask people for their opinion or whatever. That's why they need your book to kind of learn more about how to get over the fear of asking. Um, but I agree with that 100%. The networking element is how you find the best jobs. It's right. usually. That's but it. yeah. Well, you've been great, Kathy. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for your probing questions. I love them. I love oh, your you're 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 very welcome. I'm happy you like them. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Jennifer. It was so fun. Oh, it was the pleasure was all mine. How do people find you and uh, learn more about you if they are uh, inclined to do so? Thank you. Well, the biggest place is kathycaprino.com, my okay. website. You can listen to my podcast at findingbrave.org. 
And I do have a career course that runs uh, every quarter, every season called The Amazing Mm. Career Project. And that's at AmazingCareerProject.com. Oh, great. Thank you so much, Kathy. You've been a delight. Thank you again. I appreciate it so much. Habits and hustle. Time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind. Don't stop. Keep it going. Habits and hustle from nothing into something. All out. Hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries. Tune in. You can get to know them. Be inspired. This is your moment. Excuses. We ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle podcast powered by Habit Nest. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.